Have you ever wondered how deep tech companies actually start? Well, we were too. So in this podcast, we'll be interviewing scientists and entrepreneurs that have taken their ideas out of the lab and turned them into startups. I'm Antonia. And I'm Christina. And this is Startup the Science. Hi again. Thanks for tuning in to another expert episode of Startup the Science. I wanted to let you know that our demo day last week went super well. We have our winners. You can watch it on YouTube. It's there. I'll leave the link in the description. But I also bring the demo day up because our guest today, our expert, is Zina Jarahi Sinker. And she was our guest speaker at our demo day while the jury was deliberating. Zina was, up until the beginning of this year, the executive director of the National Graphene Association. Now she's the CEO and managing partner of the C6 Advanced Material Firm. She's also heading up something called the Pandemic Task Force, which she explains all of this within the episode, so it's great. Stay tuned. So I hope you've come ready to be inspired. Zena's energy and passion is incredibly contagious, no pun intended. Um, with that being said, here is Zena Warrior Princess. I bet she gets that all the time. It's spelled differently anyways, but here's our conversation with Zena. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Zena. Welcome to our podcast. Hi, Antonio. It's very nice to have you with us today, and we're very excited about all the great things we'll be discussing with you today. But let's start with an introduction. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Well, thank you for having me here. Um, well, my name is Zina Jarahi Sinker. If I had to introduce myself, I think that I would say that I am a fundamental physicist. But when I was a kid, uh, maybe five or seven years old, I actually wanted to be an astrophysicist and an astronaut. And then when I was a little bit older, I wanted to be Bill Gates. So I kind of talked about myself as having those two, two different components to my, my passion and my desires. Um, so I did my PhD at Vanderbilt University studying electron phonon dynamics and graphene and at the interface of different materials. And with that, I started my company when I was, po I was a postdoc, which was a very different experience. I was a whole different world out there when I stepped out of academia uh, and I saw a very different face of what takes uh, for science to go into technology. And uh, with that, after that, I was uh, asked to run the Association for Graphene for North America, and I did that for a few years. And now I've taken on a new venture. So in short, if you ask me who I am, I say that I have my, my, my passion is in seeing science translate into technology and uh, for us to see uh, our products and our, our science-based products to actually um, help the world. That's great. And I think it's really exciting for us to have you on the podcast because partially what we're trying to do with Enam as well is to bridge that gap between science and technology and have more scientists start companies and succeed in their endeavors. So it's really good that you're, you're here with us today because we can talk a little bit more about that. Also, one of the roles that you've had until very recently was the executive director of the National Graphene Association in the U.S. And because we've recently had a graphene startup on our podcast, Christina and I learned a lot more about graphene from uh, Vitor from Graphness. It's true. And we got into this, this topic. <laughs> we really got into it uh, quite a bit and we wanted to know more about it. But can you tell me uh, first what your role entailed? Uh, definitely. So I was running the association and... Um, it, it was basically me wanting to actually 
come out of my own startup and do something so so different was based on a need that I saw. My my experience when I started my my company was uh, perhaps different than many other people because I was coming from a fundamental physics background. And let me tell you a little bit more about that. When I started my company, people in my department told me, you are a sellout, Zena, because you're leaving science and you're going to something that is supposed to be making money. And that is, that's not what science is about. And that's not what a scientist should be doing. So that was the mindset that I started. I hadn't seen any other startups around me or seen that the, uh, the progression, the transition that it takes. So it was, it was a very, it was a culture shock for me to even step out of this. And I was also in such a fundamental field uh, where people would ask us, oh, so the research you guys are doing, what is the implication of that? And we would say, uh, well, uh, we're doing this for the sake of science. And we say, what is the application? There is no application. Why are you doing it? We're just extending our understanding of science. And with, with that mindset, when I stepped out and I started a company, I started seeing a lot of challenges. It was the Wild West for me. I started seeing what I'm calling graphene in my own field does not really mean the same thing for somebody who's producing graphene or who's selling graphene or the same thing that, let's say, a company who's trying to use graphene, they're calling something that is 50 layers graphene. Meanwhile, for me, it is only one atomic layer. So this kind of disconnect pointed out to me that there is a definite need for us to work on international standards and terminology and understanding what is a unified vision. That was one component of it. Then on the other side of it, I was seeing as we, we started the company and we're looking at supply or sourcing graphene materials, we started seeing this disparity in, in pricing, for example. I'm going on the internet. Imagine, look, okay, I'm a graphene scientist. Okay, I have that kind of knowledge. If it is difficult for me to find my path through this, imagine what it's like for somebody who is going to be sitting at their computer saying, okay, we might want to use graphene for our application. Let's look up to see how much graphene is or what it does, et cetera. So I sat behind a computer, looked it up, and there, is, there are these companies that are uh, selling things that are $10 per kilogram to $10,000 per kilogram. And everybody's calling it graphene. So everybody's saying this is the best material in the world. And yet there is this orders of magnitude and difference in price. So I started seeing components that are just difficult to navigate. And it points out to the immaturity of the ecosystem for graphene. So when I was asked to run the association, I thought, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to do this because I can pave the path. I can solve some of those problems that existed for startups that exist in this space, for investors who are trying to kind of find their path through which are the best and most sound investment for them. Um, so that's how I take on the role. And it really allowed me to see many different facets of the ecosystem of graphene from the we did a lot of work in the lobbying advocacy side. So I got to work with the federal government to look at um, how science funding generates and how the support of science funding after it has it's, it's resulted in scientific discoveries and publications, et cetera. Uh, how there is no support, sometimes infrastructure support for something like that in the governments, and how it actually results in many of these ventures go basically not be able to achieve what they could have achieved um, with that kind of support from the government. And then I started seeing working with regulatory components and navigating the regulatory elements of the ecosystem 
and also kind of looking at international standards, getting involved with that, working with supply chain, working with investors, working with uh, bridging the gap between academia and industry. It allowed me to kind of sit at the center and look at all of these things that make up this whole world that allows a company to succeed, allows a startup to succeed, and allows our companies to actually be able to add uh, value in terms of pro- products and, and technologies that is needed in the world. And, and based on all that experience, together with your own experience starting a company in this field, what would be your advice for startups in advanced materials and particularly in graphene? These are mostly the, the startups we work with in material science. The um, graphene startup we had on our podcast as well, uh, Vitor was telling us the same thing that, for example, if he wanted to buy graphene, there would be prices ranging from yeah $10 to $500. Um, and it's quite tricky to know what's good and what's bad out there. And I think this applies to many other strands in material science. What would be your advice for advanced material startups with a focus maybe on graphene? What should they focus on? What should they do better? That's such a great question. And I think that in my experience of having seen it, having had a multifaceted experience, sometimes people tell me that, you know, you are jaded or they tell me you are way too pessimist to be actually running when I was running the association. You're way too pessimist to be running an association for graphene. And I say that I am an extreme realist in that sense. When you see the challenges that investors have and you see the challenges that startups have, then you learn to mediate and sit in the middle and say, okay, how can we translate? And uh, what I see in, in what, what I say in that is that sometimes the startups in graphene, especially, um, they come in from a very perhaps naive standpoint of not understanding that there is a lot more that goes into this uh, and success of a graphene company uh, than they might realize. And when we try to give them that realistic picture, sometimes they're resistant to it. To be honest with you, Antonio, sometimes I, when I tell people that the pitch that they're giving me, I've heard it the other day, um, they are surprised by it. it and I, I'm in a position when I was running the association, my job was to know everybody who's doing anything in this field. So I would be getting, let's say, an email a day, probably, I still do, from a company that is making graphene. And they would all come to us with the same exact pitch. We are making the best one, we're making this, the cheapest one, and ours is most unique. Not knowing that everybody else is saying the same exact thing. So put yourself, instead of me, put yourself in the shoes of an investor who hears the same exact pitch from everybody. So when we're trying to tell them, look, take the blinders off, look at the challenges that we have, and we are here, and we are here to help. We're here to give you that piece of the story and tell you, what really makes a successful startup? You have to be open to it and you have to say, okay, um, what can we do to be different? Because right now the market is saturated for graphene suppliers. We don't need more graphene suppliers. Please stop doing that. We need application developers. How about we give you that piece of information to see where the need is and go in that direction and develop your business plan based on that with that mindset. So, so sometimes just get, giving that information to startups and for them to be uh, absorbing that information is extremely important. The other key element that I've seen is that, as I mentioned, this ecosystem that we have has many different components, has intellectual property, has uh, federal government, has, um, I don't know, marketing arms, it has supply chain, has end user, it has incubators, it has, I don't know, international standard bodies. Sometimes startups, when they put their feet on the ground and they start walking, 
they forget that there are different components and this is an intertwined complex system. It's an ecosystem. Each component of this ecosystem has a direct effect on what you're doing. The more involved you are understanding the pieces of this ecosystem, we have seen the past few years, the more successful companies become uh, because they have a better understanding of how to leverage, how to play these different parts to their advantage. So my advice to startups is talk to people who have been in this space before. And, and Antonio, you and I talked about us working together so that we could actually, this experience of the past decade that I have, I would be more than happy to talk to startups and just give them that mindset of what is going on. Uh, where I'm some, somebody whose job was to have their finger on the pulse. And on the other side of it, they have to be receptive to it. And we're here to help them. Uh, and the other component is for them to get involved in all the different parts of the ecosystem. Even if they don't want to get involved, have a deep understanding of the, the process that you would have to go through for regulatory authorization, for environmental health and safety evaluation. It might look very far from you right now. But soon enough, when you actually are established, those components become your everyday life. So how about you get involved in it now so you have that depth of understanding? Um, so those are those would be my two pieces of information and advice, which I wish I'd known before. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the first one would be, if I can try to sum it up, um, the first one would be, especially for graphene startups, instead of pitching the best graphene in the world, focusing on what are the applications of your material a bit more. I would say actually that this applies to a lot more than just graphene. We see a lot of material science startups coming to us telling us all about their material. And as non-material scientists, which at least Christina and I are, um, we have to dig quite deep to understand what you could possibly be doing with this material. The second point you mentioned as well is understanding your ecosystem, understanding the implications of all the different actors that play important roles and not just focusing on you and your company alone. I think that's, that makes perfect sense. So we know that material science startups, um, graphene startups as well, they face um, different challenges than many other startups. And especially in these times with corona crisis that we're all handling the best we can, they face a whole new set of challenges as well. What would be your advice for startups in this particularly challenging time? That's such a great question. Our world is changing, isn't it? I mean, uh, we, 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 none of us were expecting this a few months ago. We're going about our business, our lives. Uh, now we're facing a very unique and different future. And we are seeing that the trends that are coming out, forecasts that are coming out, sometimes they are grim for startups, especially in the technology sector, because there is a mindset of companies, big companies, um, going and falling on their legacy system, legacy products. And one of the things that gets asked usually is innovation and marketing. So uh, the first thing that goes out of the door. So there is that fear for startups, for, for advanced materials, um, that perhaps in the next few years, or maybe there's some forecast, say five, seven years, there might be a lower adoption and need for innovation. But at the same time, there is an opportunity in front of us. Every crisis, every, there is a silver lining in everything. It's a matter of how we react to it and how we prepare for it. Right now, we are at a point, especially in advanced materials, where sometimes when we go and we try to pitch our ideas, people say, we have a saying that says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, okay? They call, we go to them and say, well, what we have already works. Okay, that's a barrier to entry for us, and especially we see it in graphene. Now there is an open door for us. 
now something is broken. We can try to see this as an opportunity for us to implement our innovation into something that is requiring change right now. Even if it is going to be taking a long time, but this is our opportunity. So yes, a part of that seems grim. Um, there might be less adoption and need for innovation from the big companies. But at the same time, if we mobilize our ecosystem, if we get coordinated fast enough and we see the need that is going to be in front of us for the next few years, we can actually use this sort of advantage. We can put advanced material as a, as a critical component of a new wave of innovation that is about to come. And that is the reason why basically we started this pandemic task force to kind of look at how we can, how we can use advanced materials for, for this purpose. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? I was just about to ask you about the pandemic task force that you started with C6, and I'll come back to C6 so you can explain to us what that is. But what is the pandemic task force and who are the, the actors that you're trying to bring together? So when I left the National Graphene Association, I resigned from my role in um, the beginning of this year. And what I had in mind was that we wanted to create this global platform that looks at how we can architect the ecosystem in a way that allows us to mobilize our resources at a time like this. So it was such a strange thing that, I mean, we started C6, which is a new company, the new venture that we started, C6 Advanced Material Firm, with a focus on architecting the ecosystem, um, working on strategy and implementation, and work with all the different actors in, the, in our field to be able to leverage that to push the whole of the industry forward. And then the pandemic hits. So the pandemic hit. And everybody was in a daze for a little bit. And then we started seeing the companies that we were helping before come to us with leads. So we started seeing these companies coming to me and saying, Zina, we're working on a mask with graphene in it. We're working on filters. We're looking with antiviral coatings. But we have no way of testing this. We're not mask companies. We don't, but we're having a material and we think it can add value. But all the testing facilities in the U.S. are shut down. The other testing facilities like NIOSH, et cetera, they are overwhelmed. Where can we find? Can you help us find a path? So I started basically from that need, which was basically our mission with C6. I started going outside. We went to Spain. We went to Singapore. And we said, are, are your testing facilities open? Is there anybody who can do this kind of testing? Then we started getting more companies coming to us and saying, we want to test live, this material on live virus, but we don't have it. Which are the, the labs that are right now that are working on this? Oh, there is this one in this other country, and we know the director. So let me go and talk to that guy. And then we started seeing uh, scientists coming to us and saying, you know what, we, have, we need to talk to clinicians. We need to talk to people who actually have real needs. Can you put us in touch? So we basically started this initiative of the Pan Advanced Material Pandemic Task Force out of the needs that were presented to us. We started going all over the world. And the beauty of that was this, this guy is that we started seeing the spirit of camaraderie, the spirit of we want to help. This spirit didn't exist before. It wasn't this strong. We were coming to go into people who are saying, I would share my resources. I would share my knowledge. If we started going at this from a coordinated place, which is not based on the national interest of one country, which is not based on financial interests of one company. If we all say we are advanced material folks, we're bringing our resource and knowledge to the table, all of us, what can we do to help? So that was the base of us starting this pandemic task force, which was basically it's a C6 initiative and it's very much aligned with what we are doing. 
And it started with us thinking, okay, we have to have a map of resources because these testing facilities, these uh, scientific labs that are working with virus, these funding agencies that are funding stuff, we needed a big map and network of knowing who is doing what, where, and connecting them so that we could mobilize them. And as we went a little bit further, we realized, oh, wow, look at this. There is a lot of work that is being done. A lot of it is not published. We have a lot of scientific journals, publication, advanced materials. A lot of them are on archives. A lot of them are not shared. Uh, how can we put together a library of knowledge that tells us what do we know right now after a few months from the lens of our advancement to our own field? So we thought, okay, we need a network first with all the resources, and then we need a library of knowledge. Let's put together a database. Then we realized that, oh, wait, guys, we started seeing that everybody that talks to us, majority of people were pitching us the same exact idea. After a few weeks, we realized everybody's working on masks. Uh, okay, well, first of all, there is a lot of problems with regulatory authorization for an advanced material, like a nanomaterial, to go into something that you're breathing through. Do you guys really think you are going to actually be able to pass that fast enough to make it to this phase? And then we started looking at, okay, what are the phases of a pandemic? We have an acceleration phase for a few months, and everybody's responding to that acceleration phase. But we, what, what we're not realizing is that there's a deceleration phase based on the CDC intervals. Deceleration phase here, it might take 12 to 18 months. And there's going to be a whole lot of things that have nothing to do with medical supplies, PPE that's going to be needed that we need to understand. And then we also realized, look, it's the innovation should not come from us innovation providers. It, the need needs to be identified by innovation consumers. We need to actually go to these people and ask our clinicians, what are your needs? And when we talk to them, we ask them, you know what they said? They said, we don't need masks. We don't need innovation in masks, guys. We don't have masks. That's, that's the problem. We are, what we had before was wonderful. Please give us the same thing. But what we need is our goggles are fogging. Can you do something about that? It's like, oh, yeah, we can. Okay. Well, now all of our community is working on this, all these resources. If we just provided the information, if we created a map of need, not just for this phase, but for the next phase, there's going to be a future in convening, in workplace, in restaurants. Everybody's going to have different needs in it that are innovation, are tangible innovation. It's not just virtual. If we have a map of need and we have that network of resources and then we have that library of knowledge, we put those things together, you know what we get? We get an overview of the landscape. And when we get an overview of landscape, we can create a roadmap. We can say, okay, now we see how advanced materials can fill gaps within this, within this, this picture of tomorrow, future post-pandemic. And then we can mobilize this network to actually respond to those needs. So in a very long <laughs> kind of background of this, this is how we started. And uh, it's been getting traction really fast. And we're very excited uh, about where we can go with it. Yeah, but it's all it's all very interesting. And I think maybe that's the silver lining, right? That unfortunately, maybe it takes something like a pandemic to get everyone on board to this level of collaboration at this speed. So that's quite nice. And maybe one of the good things that will happen post this crisis is that those connections and that kind of network and that kind of knowledge library will still be there. And maybe they'll be used for other things. And I'm guessing 
maybe that that's part of your plan as well, that with C6, you'll continue running projects like that uh, beyond Corona. So would you like to tell us a little bit more about what C6 is? Yeah, so as I mentioned a little bit, I, I touched on that a little bit. C6 is, is an implementation strategy firm, and our our focus is not just on providing value to individual companies who come to us with this kind of problems or the end-user industries who come to us and say, look, we, uh, we need to evaluate this R&D plan, uh, or we need to kind of come up with, a, with an innovation perspective that includes XYZ materials. Uh, or companies who come to us and say, we are requiring some sort of assistance for funding, et cetera. Can you connect us or can you kind of give us uh, a bigger picture? But also a very important part of what we do at C6 is these initiatives like the AMT, Advancement to Pandemic Task Force that we talked about. Besides uh, meeting the needs of individual companies and individual actors in our ecosystem, we have a need to architect the entirety of the ecosystem and build the building blocks of that. We need to build those roads that we can then build buildings on. Somebody needs to be building that. Somebody needs to put together those frameworks. And those are much bigger in scale and they are not going to be supported by the same uh, revenue streams. It's going to have to be from an international organizations from the some from the federal government who comes in and says, we're going to be putting together this, this money to to structure the, the blueprint of this, this ecosystem. And you mentioned, you talked about how this, the AMT network and the initiative we're starting, that it is not just a matter of, of us using it for this coronavirus. This is a model. Once we put something like that, an ecosystem, mob, a mobilizing strategy, the next pandemic that hits, and let's go past that, the next crisis that hits, that requires us to act fast, get mobilized fast, we already have that in place so we can respond. Maybe the climate crisis. That is such a great point. Absolutely. This is a model that once established and now, I mean, the silver lining is it that is forcing us to establish that, right? Once we establish that, let's leverage it and solve other problems with the same thing. It's just that the mission is not changing. The mission is still, how can we use advanced materials to solve problems? And the problem could be anything. That's right. And that's very similar to the mission we have, not exactly in those terms of us that we're trying to achieve as well, uh, having advanced materials at the core and then bringing all the all the people in the world that are excited about advanced materials <laughs> together working um, working to solve problems. So with that said, we're coming close to the end of our episode today. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners, our audience that is actually very U.S. focused recently? So maybe you have a message particularly for the for the Americans listening to us. Absolutely. Yes. Look, this, these are unprecedented times. Our future is going to be changing. OK, and unprecedented times call for collaboration, the spirit of camaraderie again. And also it, it calls for uh, fast evaluation of new technologies and kind of discarding some of those old bureaucratic ways of doing things. And we are trying to get these things, we're trying to take advantage of this opportunity. So for all of the advanced material folks out there, please join us in this philanthropic effort that we're putting together with this task force, because you can be a part of this network and we're actually opening it up to the public and more countries. We right now have four or five countries that are on board, uh, but we'll be opening up to more countries, more organizations, more individuals that you can apply for and become a part of this. Not only bring your resources, but also take advantage of all the information that's going to 
be delivered through this. And with that, all of us, we can really be a part of a change. I think we, this is our chance. We can use this to our advantage and make a difference. Preach. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> so we're already signed up. I filled in the form. I should be on your newsletter. And hopefully Inam can, uh, can contribute in some way to, to this project and to many others as well. Thank you very much for being with us today on Startup the Science. And yeah, looking forward to talking to you soon. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to Startup the Science. If you like our show and want to know more about what we do, check out our website at enum.berlin. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time.